0: Because Cats is the worst movie of the year, of the decade, possibly of all time. But I want to talk about something else, a movie that was really bad, but kind of slipped under the the, the, the radar, even though it had a huge net of consequence for everyone involved.
1: Welcome to Idiot Plot, a comedic podcast critiquing, discussing, and analyzing the media industry through reviews, debates, and historical deep dives.
0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Idiot Plot. I'm David Yanish, and joining me are my co-host Alex Ovidal.
2: Welcome to this now accidentally bi-weekly podcast.
1: <laughs> and Justin Neitzel. You know, you didn't have to mention that. We don't have enough viewers. They just call <laughs> on and know it was just, oh look, That's another awful. episode. Yeah.
0: Anyway, on today's episode, we are going back in time to a year that happened before COVID-19 before masks and before lockdowns when you could still leave your home and go to a movie theater and see a big blockbuster when the MCU went out with a bang and Star Wars ended with a whimper and a shrug when everyone discovered that we live in a society and that foreign language movies still exist that's right today we are talking about the movies of 2019 but before that I want to check in with you guys and ask you guys what you watch in this two week break between episodes
1: I came across the movie Pleasantville this movie Movie is about two teenagers in the 90s who get they get thrown into a 1950s sitcom where their influence starts to change the entire show. I've heard
0: of that, but I can't. <coughs> Who's in that?
1: This stars Tobey Maguire, um, the only Spider-Man, uh, Jeff Daniels, Reese Witherspoon. There's a lot of names in here.
0: I've never heard of this movie.
1: William H Macy's. I saw clips of this in high school for some class. I don't remember what. And I just happened to come across it flipping through channels and I was like, oh, I remember this. And it's a very good movie directed by Gary Ross. So basically with them in this sitcom, they start changing up the storylines of the show. Where in Pleasantville, not everything is perfect. Everyone throws a throws a basketball. You could throw it at the wall in a ricochet and go through the hoop. No questions asked. Never rains there. Everything's Pleasant, Perfect. And then um, Reese Witherspoon and Toby McGuire start... Uh, or at least Reese Witherspoon starts to cha- go back to her ways of doing things and starts changing everybody. And as they go pr- progress through the movie, characters start to become color, not just black and white, which then also throws in a little uh, dynamic of racism in the movie as well because there's the coloreds and the non-coloreds. Oh.
0: That... That sounds like an allegory that could either work or not work.
1: <laughs>
0: very, very easily. Very fine
1: line there. It's a very fine line, but it, it, it's very subtle. It's not over the top with it. Okay. But I mean, that's my recommendation. Or mean, my movie I watched. I mean, it
0: sounds absolutely absurd, but I'm kind of digging it. Oh, wait, here we go. Music by Randy Newman. And for that reason, I'm out. What? It's just going to... I. It's just gonna be the boop, bop, be da up bop, like yeah. He did the marriage
2: story score.
0: Yeah, but really, there's some Randy Newman moments in that. <laughs> there's some Randy Newman moments in that in that score. It's not all Randy moments, but there's some where he gets like the upbeat piano going. I don't think
2: they're yelling at each other, and then the, you know the piano starts. You got a friend in me. <laughs>
0: Yeah, 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 it's, 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 you got, it's, you owe alimony, but it's to the tune of you got a friend in me. You got to pay that alimony. Okay, moving on. Over though, what was your thing you watched this week?
2: Well, I watched a 70s thriller from the, the President's Men director called The Parallax View, aka Epstein Didn't Kill Himself, the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Which is about a reporter who witnessed an assassination and he starts investigating an organization whose, like, the thing they do is secretly political assassinations. So it's very, it's insanely tense. The cinematography is insanely creative and interesting. And it's tense the whole way through. The script is tight exactly as long as it has to be. Very 70s, very dark and very... thought-provoking and kind of scary real. just like the, you know, he really doesn't know how deep he's in and how big it goes, and it's a very good conspiracy thriller.
0: Uh, I also watched that movie on your recommendation in in this break, and I, I, I don't think I liked it as much as you did. It kind of lost me in the middle um, just because it kind of became a little bit formulaic to, to me of, of the main character play played by Warren Beatty going around he talks to someone, something bad happens to them, rinse and, rinse and, rinse and repeat. I kinda got a little it kinda got a little tedious for me, but the third act is absolutely amazing. I was I was deeply enthralled by it. Um especially and the cinematography is so good. That's the part that really blew me away. And of course coming from the All the Presence Men director who I mean it's basically how we got started directing was political conspiracy movies. And he did one that was real at the time, and then Parallax V, which became real. But that's that. The, I, I do agree that that's a solid pick, which of course is getting a Criterion movie release pretty soon, I think is what you said.
2: Yeah, which I, I didn't know when I watched it, but that's uh, it's getting one in next week, I think. Oh, really? That soon? Yeah, it's like this month for sure, I know.
0: Do, 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 do you already have it pre-ordered?
2: Uh, I want to. <laughs>
0: But that actually ties into my movie that I watched, keeping with the theme of now Warren Beatty, I watched his 1990 Dick Tracy adaptation, which I'm sure a lot of people haven't really heard of, but... I was drawn to it looking in the kind of cult movies because this was a movie so it was was produced, directed, and starring Warren Beatty. And it's the first big post-Batman blockbuster which followed Batman's style in both marketing and in execution of the film itself. And so it's this big budget movie that costs like $50 million to make, another $50 million just in marketing. Like it was everywhere. Disney had this massive push for it. And then 30 years later, nobody knows what it is like it it flopped pretty hard it was one of those first examples of a movie that made a bunch of money but didn't make any money and it's an interesting film it's so imagine like the tim burton batman aesthetic of like that noir heavy griminess but with bright colors instead of blacks it's bizarre to look at but it also looks really good the makeup is terrifying like, like, look. If you look up the the Dick Tracy villain makeup, it's it's
2: horrifying
0: t- to look at, but also really funny. You
2: mean the Academy Award winning makeup?
0: Yeah, like it was nominated for a bunch of a bunch of Academy Awards, and it looks terrible. In modern in the modern day context, it looks horrible. Oh wow! <laughs> See, like, like it. It looks. I mean, Al Pacino kills it. The cast is huge because you have Warren Beatty, you have Al Pacino, you have Dustin Hoffman, James Caan, bunch of them been- actors, and Al Pacino fully embraces how campy it is but the movie itself
1: i mean it looks bad but for what the movie seems to look like it looks like it's perfect
0: it's a fun time it's campy it's got some decent action in it i can't say i recommend it but if you're on hbo max in the next month before it leaves you won't have a bad time but it's not amazing
2: Oh, yeah, Parallax View is also on Amazon. Watch that.
0: Don't let the terrible thumbnail turn you away.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what's up with that DVD poster.
0: It looks like a Disney movie.
2: Yeah, look at the original poster or the Criterion one, which is amazing, and I need it.
0: (laughs) Anyway, with that, we're going to go to today's main topic, which is 2019, which, weirdly enough looking back at like a year later is one of the strongest movie years of the past
2: decade. Like I it's, agree. It's stacked. Yeah, it's the strongest years I've ever seen. I to sustain this, is, this is two years.
0: The, the, the 2010s had 2010 itself, which had a bunch of big movies. 2015 had a bunch of big movies.
1: 2014, which is probably the best year.
0: I don't know. 2019 is actually pretty much up there too, I think. 20, 2014 was, well, I know. I, was good. I say. But 2019, you had... You had like, this weird mix of giant mega blockbusters, like end of franchises, but also really good, like, Oscar movies at the same time, which I which I think is kind of rare. But, you have, but, but the blend works. Uh, so with that, we all have a list of notable movies from 2019 that we're going to talk about. We, we each chose five. And we're going to kind of go through them one by one. We're going to talk about each film, some more in depth than others. And we're going to kind of go over the year that was 2019, In movies, Uh, I'm going to start us off with what what is currently my pick for top movie of 2019. I think both of you guys also have it very high on your list for top movies, and that is Jojo Rabbit. Now, Jojo Rabbit to me is one of those movies that almost shouldn't work, but it does because of Taika Waititi as the director and writer. the The dude is a magician. I don't know how he does it, but he's he makes these absurd movies that are also amazing. He takes these concepts that shouldn't work like imaginary friend Hitler in the case of Jojo Rabbit and turns it into this amazing coming of age comedy drama movie.
2: Well, I, th- I think like, I mean, you can imagine it working as like farce or like straight comedy, but it's like it initially sets itself up that way, but it's actually a very emotionally strong film and he somehow always finds that balance.
1: I think this works very well with his sense of humor. Yeah. Especially for the imaginary Hitler.
0: I know the one complaint I've heard about consistently from people is that it's too derivative of Wes Anderson style, which I, I mean, my, my wife thought was a Wes Anderson movie for like a year <laughs> until I told her that it wasn't. I, I could definitely I, see I could that. I
2: think the best film of Wes Anderson's career. However, <laughs> uh, I do love Grand Budapest. Not you know.
0: Everything about it works. I know a lot of people that to this day still with with Jojo Rabbit hear it's about Nazis and will immediately not watch it, mm-hmm. and I think that's doing it a disservice. It's really because I think it's just it's just Nazi comedy and it's not. You it's really about people being brainwashed and falling yeah. for authoritarian figures. And from that point of view, it
1: works really well. you got Sam Rockwell stealing the show, basically with his uh, over the top drunk character.
0: Well, the acting is so good overall. I'm not yeah. as high.
2: Everybody, like all the side characters are great. Like it's just got such a rich, like cast of characters.
0: I'm not as high on ScarJo as other people are in this movie. I think she should have won for *Marriage Story*, which I, which I'm sure we'll talk about later.
1: We will. <coughs>
0: <laughs> but I Second don't. Tease. But I don't think she should be nominated. Or she should be nominated for this one. I don't think she's bad. I just don't think she's that great. However, Roman Griffin Davis, who plays Jojo himself, I mean that's one of the best kid performances I've ever seen in a movie. He's amazing.
1: I look forward to seeing what he'll do. Him and uh, Tom Tomanson McKenzie. Yeah, the, the Tom Tomason McKenzie. Yeah, she, she was quite. Yeah, she was fantastic. Yeah. If both
0: of them have good agents, they'll have very strong careers going 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 forward. Because they because they were both amazing. I think part of that too is Tyka's directing. He knows how to direct actors better than a lot of act directors do nowadays. And
2: yeah, it feels like everybody's always having a good time in his movies. Even when it's about Nazis, it's about the
0: fall of, yeah. fall of Germany, World War II, and it, it seems like, like they're having a great time.
1: Well, you gotta laugh about everything.
0: And and I think the film strikes a good tone, where you're not, we're not really laughing at anybody, but you're also not really with them either. It's it's kind of hard to say in words. But, like, you, you like feel for having, all the characters.
1: You're, you're hanging out with the characters and having a good time.
0: But you also feel for them because you know that they've been brainwashed. You know that, that, that they believe yes. this thing that is horrible... And you and you feel for them.
2: And there's a lot there's a lot of very emotional moments. Like, it really, I was shocked when I when I saw it, I saw it like early fall. So, like, that was just like a little bit after it came out and the buzz was early. So I didn't know like it had that
1: dramatic aspect. The, you know, when the cl- you watch the trailer. You're just thinking it's going to be a straight comedy. And then he hits you with some gut punches in there.
0: Yeah. And and the climax which is this big battle scene, is so good. It's so emotional. It uses slow motion correctly. Cough, cough, Zack Snyder, cough, cough. It, and it hits you with this moment where you're seeing these characters. It does like what every good movie does, which is it makes you feel for the characters. So the movie turns in those horrible things to them. You feel like your heart's been ripped out and you're part of the movie now. That's about all I have to say on Jojo Rabbit. It's really good. Go see it. I know the Nazi thing wants a little opening.
2: Decade, like- yeah, it's a must-watch. Very emotional. You,
0: you you laugh, you'll cry, you'll laugh some more. You kind of hate yourself a little bit, probably at some points for some of the jokes that you're laughing at.
2: But it, uh,
0: I guess one one final point, it does the Mel Brooks satire style well, where, where it shows you kind of like with *Blazing Saddles*, where it shows you how ridiculous racism was. Jojo Rabbit* makes you see how ridiculous Nazi hate, Nazism of, is of the Jewish people yeah. was. It pokes fun of it to such an extreme that you're like, okay, this is ridiculous. And just like *Blazing Saddles worked, this one works too. And with that, I will pass the torch to whoever wants to go next.
1: Um, I guess I'll go. One of my first movies I watched, it took me a while to see this one, but it came out in early 2019. That's Fighting With My Family.
0: I'm so happy you picked this one. I'm so happy.
2: You're a Florence
0: Pugh.
2: <laughs> Dude, she's great. Yeah. She
0: came out of nowhere. It was in like five movies in one year. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And, they, and she knocked it out of the park in like all five of them. But basically this is the story of a wrestler. She comes from a family of wrestlers in England where it's not really that popular. Um, and then she gets her big break to break into the WWE where she has to train. And she's kind of an outsider because she doesn't fit the look of most of the wrestlers. Which she then tries to change. But then ultimately goes back to who she is and gets her big shot and takes full advantage of it. Well,
0: Why did you pick this movie? Like, did you really like it? Like, what would you like about it?
1: I, I guess I was just kind of, I wasn't expecting much from it. I mean, I'm not a big wrestling guy, so, but I heard a lot of good things about it and I watched it and it was just, Lawrence Pugh kind of sucks you in. It for, feels for her character, her making friends with people that she alienates at first. Where she thinks she's the only one taking it seriously, but all these other people are trying to get trying to get paid to do this too. And and the fact that um, her brother and her both tried out and he didn't get it, but she did. And it was just like they have this animosity towards each other for a while till they get over it. I really like this movie too. I forgot about it until you put it on your list. I forgot about it until I started going through the list of movies.
0: It's like, oh yeah, that movie was really good. Uh, I believe it's the directorial debut of Stephen Merchant. Who, I mean, is a Was comedy a Joe legend Joe of, of modern comedies. Like, he created The Office with Ricky G- Gervais and, and he kills it with the direction. Uh, the movie actually got me into wrestling I started watching wrestling, mostly to hate watch it. Um, <laughs> because it, sorry to any wrestling fans out there, it's pretty painful to watch. <laughs> but this movie about wrestlers trying to become professional wrestlers is actually really interesting.
1: Well, it's kind of like me in boxing movies, too. It's like, I don't really care for watching boxy, but mo- boxing, but watching a boxing movie, entertaining yeah. as hell. Well, it opens your eyes to just kind of how big the WWE is. Oh, that, too. Like, it's and a you he- got a nice cameo from The Rock. Well, he also produced the movie.
2: What? Cameo from the guy who's in the poster, because it's The Rock, you got to fucking put him
0: in front. <laughs> <laughs> <And then laughs> I mean, he did it for like all of five minutes, if that
1: five or less that's about it but he sold that movie but you have Florence yeah, you actually look up the uh, woman who it's based on and you see a lot of similarities and Lawrence Pugh did a good job performing as her
0: Florence Pugh doesn't really look like Paige at all but she killed the no. performance
1: she brought the right attitude
0: yeah and and, and, and one those things and,
1: where it's like you don't have to cast them to look like them just they need a body that attitude yeah which is,
2: uh, so
1: many people get that
2: wrong, is that, that they want it to be the person who looks most exactly like them and not who, or like who can just do an imitation and not like who captures the, the essence of the character.
0: That's why Stephen Lang shows up in any fan casting for any old white guy character.
1: <laughs> any old white guy with a military cut, Stephen Lang.
0: <laughs> but going off of what you said earlier, Justin, about the, about the story, the writing of that movie is so genius in that it makes you believe that Paige is, because it's about like the group of wrestlers. They're all going into like NXT, which is the WWE developmental branch. And it's about all of them kind of coming up together. And the movie like convinces you that Paige is the only one that cares because that's what she thinks. And then she, and then she so because she's the only one that comes from like a wrestling background. The yeah, they like,
1: ones came as dancers or cheerleaders. Yeah,
0: yeah, fitness models. But she, but she thinks she's the one true wrestler. But then the movie kind of drops twist on you that nope, they actually all do really care, and that she's yeah. actually the 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 bully and, and the wrong for thinking otherwise, and that's genius to me be- mm-hmm. be- because not only do you realize that character's in the wrong, you realize you're in the wrong too, and that your own and that Paige's own biases and your own biases actually are are are, are there. And I've never seen a movie that makes me confront my biases about professional wrestlers,
1: but well, especially considering she's like the only one from England where in all. She's more dressed down, wears black, more of a gothy, and everyone else is more of the supermodel, mm-hmm. hot. It definitely plays on your biases.
0: And and Vince Vaughn also does a really good job, too. Vince Vaughn, Nick Frost, Lena Headey, great supporting cast.
1: Sl- Vince Vaughn's slowly coming back around. He went to that B-horror movie,
0: Goldmine, <laughs> that Nick Cage has been rocking for years.
2: That that that's Nick Cage's that entire market.
1: <laughs> okay. Do you have anything but, more to say, Justin? Nope, that's all I got to say about it.
2: Speaking of Florence Pugh, uh, an amazing film whose only win was above Florence Pugh, and it's the one that only one that shouldn't have gotten <laughs> is *Marriage Story*, um, which I mean is just absolutely incredible, emotionally devastating. The script is one of the best probably I've ever seen just in how balanced it is and how emotionally resonant it is and how it sucks you in the direction is amazing. And we already talked about Scarlett Johansson. I mean, the acting is just a complete powerhouse with those two, uh, Adam driver and Scarlett Johansson. And it's, just, it, it's completely shocking that it won one Oscar. I mean, I feel like this is a movie that's going to have staying power just because of how well it handles the topic and how well crafted it is top to bottom.
0: Uh, what is the plot of the movie for people that don't know?
2: Uh, divorce. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's basically it. But two people, one moved to LA to pursue acting and one is, uh, uh, stage director in New York and that creates a rift. And at the point where the story starts, they're in the middle of a divorce uh, debating if they should get lawyers involved and then they do. And then it completely collapses. Um, and it's two people who actually do care about each other, but uh, it just fell apart and no one's blamed. It's just everybody had a role in it and how it tore their family apart.
0: And of course they have a kid, which complicates everything.
2: Right, that just makes it 10 times worse. And you know the the kids in the middle of it too and doesn't really fully grasp the situation because it's just a little kid and <clears throat> it just makes everything worse.
1: So I I haven't seen this movie. So you're saying it starts with them filing for a divorce?
2: I uh, know. It's uh, the process is already underway basically. Okay. But they didn't want to do with lawyers because that just you know makes everything 10 times worse but that's exactly what happens it starts (laughs) so
0: this isn't isn't really spoilers but it starts with them saying why they love their partner which is a really interesting opening
2: and is like the whole thematic drive like there's a huge part of it and comes back and um i
1: I guess it just kind of shows that not all divorces end in I hate you oh. I wish you were dead
0: oh I might want to watch the movie <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Oh. it doesn't have to end that way but it shows how you get there
1: got it See, as someone, I haven't watched this because I was like I heard it was like really sad and depressing and I was like ah, I don't really want to watch that
0: <laughs> well as someone who just recently got married this year I really did not want to watch it but I did anyway, and I have never felt more uncomfortable watching a movie <laughs> than I have <laughs> while watching Marriage Story. It's really good. It's so good.
2: And if you want to see a, movie, a film specifically that builds its entire plot to a specific point, like, it's just a master class in that, like, everything builds up to the bi- the big meme scene. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly,
0: Like the way it builds. And of course, I come from parents that weren't divorced. So I don't really know a lot about divorce. But from what I do know about divorce, the movie seems to follow not just the literal process of divorce, but the emotional process of divorce. Where it goes from they're trying to be mutual about it. You know, mutual respect. I still love you but I can't be with you. But as soon as their interests start to diverge and they start to realize that someone can't really win, like someone has to lose in order for the person to get what they want. That's when things start going south. And the way the movie emotionally builds off that is incredible. No, Noah Baumbach's direction and writing is top tier.
2: Yeah, I really can't decide what's better—his direction or the script. Like, I, I can't tell—they're both just absolutely incredible. I certainly think he, he should have won for best screenplay. I mean, that script is just flawless.
0: I mean, I was shocked by how by how good that was. And how good his direction of the actors were. Scarlett Johansson, who, as you guys know, I'm not super high on anything. She blew me away. It's probably the best thing I've ever seen her in.
2: Also should have won.
0: She should have won. (laughs) The the only actor that won from this movie is Laura Dern, who really should not have won.
2: (laughs) No. yeah, Florence Pugh should have won. Laura Dern just plays Laura Dern for, like, ten minutes.
0: And the supporting cast is really good. Alan Alda is amazing. Ray Liotta, who, I, I mean... Talk, talk about an, a random actor appearance really Oda, in this movie <laughs> but he's also really good yeah like actually my favorite part of the movie probably is how it does portray the, the divorce lawyers who are played by Laura Dern really Oda, and Alan Alda and how like they're all friends outside of the office <laughs>
2: Yeah, and I like how mostly it goes. It, uh, yeah, and especially the, the two Ray Liotta and Laura Dern's characters, like to them, it's just a day at the office where they can get one up on their buddy. For these people, it's their lives.
0: The are being torn apart, like completely
2: destroyed. Yeah, I, I got you. <laughs> the lawyers, specifically. Like, it's just devastating.
0: But, and, and of course, I, we won't say what happens in it but the scene that everyone knows from this movie see I didn't think I wanted to cry in it but I felt exhausted I felt emotionally exhausted
1: yeah I think that's the only scene I've seen from this movie because I just happened to come across it scrolling through like Twitter or something and I was just like holy shit I'm like
0: <laughs> I had the pause after I saw it
2: yeah it's like so powerful and especially because it built everything builds to that moment and it's just completely devastating
0: and this is a movie overall i believe that you like so much that it's on netflix but i think you also bought the physical release of it as well
2: yeah i have the criterion which comes with the the letters that the you were talking about that it opens with um it's a very nice release but yeah it's like it's so good that i'm just like i have to buy it
0: L- Listeners, if you haven't learned, we love the Criterion Collection.
2: <laughs> Good physical releases in general, but especially Criterion. I mean, everything they do is is so nice.
0: Cr- Criterion ha- is the best. You pay you, you 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 pay for the best. They're not cheap, but they are amazing. Is there anything more you...
2: So think- I've had fights with uh, JoJo for best of the year and two of the best of the decade, and I can never decide which one. So, at this point, I've given up trying to decide.
0: But, but I'm assuming that means that you, you would give them both five out of five on Letterboxd? Yeah,
2: no, easy, easy. Easy five out of five for both of them, no doubt.
0: Is there anything more that you'd like us to talk about? No, I'm good. Okay. Uh, no, wait, no, there's something we got to talk about because you brought up earlier... And that's Randy Newman.
2: <laughs> oh, the score
1: is fantastic.
2: I mean, it's it just accents everything perfectly and helps drive it, and does not have the bloop bops, as you would say. It kind of does, though. I don't know. I d- I don't agree.
0: There, there there are some moments where where I mean, it doesn't have the full piano, him doing like the Bug's Life or Toy Story, <laughs> like do 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 do, like it it doesn't it doesn't have that, but it has some upbeat. Brandy newman piano uh but with that since my turn again i want to switch gears because we're talking we talked about like three great movies right i want to switch gears for a little bit and talk about the bad of 2019 now as much as there's good movies in this year There were also lots of bad ones. And of course, the one everyone wants to talk about is Cats. Because Cats is the worst movie of the year, of the decade, possibly of all time. But I want to talk about something else. A movie that was really bad, but kind of slipped under the the, the, the radar. Even though it had a huge negative consequence for everyone involved. And that is Dark Phoenix, or X-Men Dark Phoenix. Whatever you want to call it. whatever Whatever they're calling it now, anyway. This movie... Is so bad and hurt me so much because I love the X Men movies so much, especially the Fox ones. I mean, there was some, like there's the movies that got me in the superhero movies to to begin with, and to see them go out like that. You want that,
1: them to go out on a high note, not this.
0: I mean, so the movie is about the Dark Phoenix saga, where Jean Grey uh, becomes possessed by the Phoenix Force. And rather than become a giant space epic like the original comic book arc, uh, she, she, she she's hunted by shape, shape-shifting aliens who totally aren't the Skrulls, and they totally didn't fix that in reshoots. Wink, wink. We know what you did, Simon Kinberg. <laughs> and the X-Men have to kind of protect her and figure out what's going on, and she ends up killing one of them, and it's, it's all just a bunch of nonsense. It, It thinks it's telling this big epic story. It's not. Because the whole point of this movie was to right the wrongs of X-Men The Last Stand in terms of adapting the Phoenix Force. And it does that by turning around and doing the exact same freaking thing. Like, the climax of this movie isn't them in space. Even though I think it originally was supposed to be, but they reshot it because it was too close to Captain Marvel. So it ends with them on a train and I don't even care that I'm spoiling this movie because you should not see it like if you're an X-Men fan just pretend this movie doesn't exist
2: I've, I've successfully done that so far
0: James McAvoy tries really hard um, Michael Fassbender who again probably the best part of this movie is they actually created Genosha even though it's like some homeless camp in the middle of the woods but they gave you know something to do at least uh Jennifer Lawrence also clearly did not want to be there.
1: Who dies?
0: Which is revealed but in the trailer. They freaking show that in the trailer.
1: This is like, how long, much longer do we have to deal with her on screen?
2: Yeah, it's, it's not even a spoiler when they put it in uh, the trailer. Like, my goodness. Because, be, because she's killed by Jean Grey,
1: who's played by
0: Sophie Turner, who, again, talking about casting, right? They cast her solely on her look because she looks like Jean Grey out of the comics. Her acting mm. as Jean Grey has always been terrible. <laughs>
1: it's well, like a
0: plank of wood.
1: I mean, other than Fastbender and McAvoy, the acting in this movie was not great whatsoever.
0: Jessica Chastain, I don't know what she was on. It's like she took an ambient right before they took every scene with her in it. Just act like you're not there. And she's paired with James McAvoy, who she starred in several other movies with. And the two have no chemistry whatsoever.
1: Well, that and I don't I didn't care for what they did with uh, Charles Xavier's character in this movie. Basically beating him down and being like, oh, yeah, you're you were always a horrible mentor. You can't do anything. It's like that's not Professor X.
0: They really no one hates Professor X more than the people that make X-Men movies, it really seems like. I mean, even he, he, he going back to, 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 to the Patrick Stewart ones, he went out in, in Last Stand
1: in a very horrible way. We're going to disintegrate you.
0: And then came back and they don't even explain why.
1: <laughs> well, X-Men's never been good at explaining the timeline, so.
0: Well, because it, it really seems like, the, it seems like they just stopped caring with these movies. They just don't care anymore. And it sucks for how good Deadpool was, for how good... Um, Logan Logan. was, they just don't care.
1: Basically, the problem was they went right back to Simon Kingberg and they're like, oh, by the way, you can direct this one.
0: He wrote Last Stand.
1: (laughs) They're giving control. We'll give you a second chance, but this time we'll let you direct because why not?
0: (laughs) I just need to talk about this movie just to vent about it because everyone gives cats all this crap right
1: Rightfully so. I
0: mean, yeah, it's terrible. But, like, this movie gets a pass? No. Uh-uh. It's terrible. It's terribly written. It's terribly acted. It looks like crap. It makes no sense. It's boring. They butchered it.
1: CGI is awful. This
0: was, this was supposed to be the last MCU X-Men movie, not counting New Mutants, because it doesn't really count as anything. But... Really mean, it was also made,
1: like, 11 years ago?
0: Because <laughs> that movie finally came out and nobody knew it I mean it's also bad but it's not 2019 I think it was supposed to come out in
1: 2019 or 2018 also for also 18, 18 17 <laughs> 16 15 <laughs> I think it go back a while
0: but for the but, but for the last MCU free X-Men movie to be this I mean I never thought I'd be excited for the MCU to take control of X-Men and I'm still not but I'm more yeah, excited yeah. than I would be from making another one of these
2: it's worse
1: Nope, it can only go up now. Maybe that was why. They're like, oh, let's make a shit movie so the MCU can do good. Well, supposedly... Our new, our new owners can profit off of that.
0: Well, what what's the great thing is is the, the movie that's so bad at the box office, for how good of a year Disney had for the box office 2019, you know, with, with Endgame breaking all the records and their other films like Toy Story 4, Aladdin, Lion King, all breaking a billion. Uh, Dark Phoenix was so bad they came in under projections. <laughs> wow. Like, that, that's how bad it did.
2: But at the yeah, same... The Fox stuff re- really uh, hurt them.
0: That at Astro Bomb 2...
2: Yeah, uh, don't even get me started.
0: Like 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 that, it, it tanked their box office. But at the same time, I believe they changed Dark Phoenix because of Disney. Supposedly, this is even before the, the deal came into effect. They reshot large parts of it to make it not Captain Marvel. Because the villains were supposed to be the Skrulls. And it was supposed to end in space fighting the fighting the, the Skrulls. But Captain Marvel had the Skrulls. And they weren't actually no, I'm not, I'm not gonna say that part. But that had the scrolls in, in it too. So they so apparently they reshot it to to a better fit in with Disney, which I think might be illegal, I could be wrong.
1: Well, that's the question. And who owned the rights to the scrolls? Because if they both owned it, why not just both use it, just like well, Days of Future they, Past and Ultron both use Quicksilver?
0: Well, they both owned it. They both owned the scrolls. That that wasn't up for debate. I think the issue was is Fox, since Dark Phoenix was going to be be released by Disney, they didn't want to step over Disney's toes except the problem was this was before the deal was finalized which
1: probably just should have released it how it was
0: yeah it probably probably still would have been shit but it couldn't have been any worse exactly it it really and it would have at least been faithful and what they were promising they were promising the movie was going to be a space epic and it wasn't which was shocking to me
1: especially with the Dark Phoenix involved again
0: and the fact that it ends on a train
1: a lot of X-Men movies deal with on a train at some point
2: I was just thinking that too (laughs) (laughs) there's always a train
0: anyway my rant's done Justin you go I want to be happy again my next
1: movie is a thrill ride that once you get in it's like I didn't realize I was holding a breath till the movie was over and that's John Wick chapter 3 Parabellum this is
0: where we fight this is where we fight
1: (laughs) Ooh, fight. Yay. Anyways, this is a movie John Wick killed a member of uh, the Assassin's Guild in the building. No, no. So now he's being hunted, and he has to travel all over the globe to the Supreme High Chair to get pardoned. And then he goes back and basically starts a war with them all over again. This is a thrill ride. I, don't, I mean, I don't think it's the greatest story, but, man, just watching... Every, they, like, basically asked Keanu Reeves, what can you do, and we'll build an action scene around it, and they did for everything. And it was just a fun thrill ride to watch him just kill a bunch of fools.
0: Uh, I mean, I agree with you on the thrill ride part, and I did... I love the first act of this movie, when it's John Wick versus everyone.
2: And I love the last act of this movie.
0: But the direction of this movie to me really bothered me for the sole reason of a lot of the action sequences like John Wick 2 is a perfect action movie yeah flawless John Wick 3 is so over directed and over choreographed it took me out of the movie specifically the fight scene with the dogs.
2: Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking of. It's like, I mean, this is cool to watch in person, but it felt like someone in the audience was recording the, the Indiana Jones stunt show uh, or like the Waterworld stunt show or something where like, you know, you're watching something artificial.
1: <laughs> At that point in the movie, I didn't care anymore. I, <laughs> I, was I was just enjoying the ride.
0: I was waiting for everyone to clap every time the, the dogs did a trick. oh did you give him his treat yeah everyone claps the Halle Berry throws him a treat
2: and like the the camera's very far out which can work when you have like epic scale things but like it's so far out that you can tell it's a set and you can tell Mm -hmm. that again like every movement is like Extremely choreographed, but that beyond that, that wasn't my own. Uh, my primary issue, besides that, was honestly like this movie had two ways it could go. John Wick Two set it up to be this amazing final chapter in a trilogy. Uh, between the two movies, they decided that trilogies are lame now, and we need to make a <laughs> franchise with three spinoffs and ten more movies. So it gets dragged out, and instead of concluding the story from the first two, it. Sets up a whole bunch of other things, so I don't know when it's going to end. Now I thought it was going to be this, but now they're like table, the high table for for like, the whole second act.
1: is it like two more movies, I believe, or is it just one?
2: No, it's at least two. Just, it's at least two. Now, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know what to believe anymore because this was supposed to be the, the conclusion.
0: There, there's two: a TV show about the Continental, and a spinoff about the ballerinas from Manjelica Houston. that's what they've announced so far
1: yeah I don't care about, about the battle as
2: cool as it is to see John Wick with a shotgun uh, against mega armored dudes which is pretty sick and but... to see him fight Boban Maranovich with a book
0: that's so awesome that's an awesome fight <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that's all I gotta say about the movie
0: I'm, I, I-, I-, I have more I have more <laughs> I'm not done yet all right because I needed to talk about, kind of what I'll talk about with, with, with the dogs and stuff. I wanted to bring up about the, another part that bugged me was the scene at the end where they're, where they're fighting and they're fighting this dude in, a, in this Hall of Mirrors type glass thing. And, and he throws these, he, he's fighting these two dudes and he throws them or someone gets thrown into these glass pillars. And there's like six of them. And the movie sits on one shot as one person gets smashed into these glass pillars one by one for like three minutes. (laughs) And it's just so overdone. And where the movie excels is where it excelled in the the first two, which is the one-on-one close quarters combat fights. When the movie tries to expand its horizons, it kind of falls under its own weight. But when it has these... Super intimate, like like when he fights the main dude at the end, uh Mark DiCoscos' character. The the samurai dude who, who's a really big fan of John Wick, who is a great villain to fight.
1: That was fun.
0: Because he loves John Wick.
1: Just oh, sits right next to him.
0: And he wants to kill him because he loves him so much. Um those fights are great. Uh and of course the world of John Wick. Is amazing. It's just this interesting yeah. world. It's
2: just uh, gone uh, like too much world building now. It's like we need a movie in here too.
0: And, and it, and it feels like they're, they're making it up as
1: they go along. They had a movie until Austin. He went back to the hotel. Mm-hmm.
0: But John Wick. I mean, John Wick two, I find to be perfect. John Wick three, I still liked. I still think it's a good movie.
1: It's kind of funny is like a lot of people prefer don't like John Wick 2 and think three is a hell of a lot better. They're insane.
0: I know, I know people that still think <laughs> that John Wick one's the best yeah. and they're wrong.
2: I, John Wick 2 is absolutely amazing. One of the best action movies of the past decade or two. And then you have three, which like it's not that I didn't enjoy three. Just, it's a solid movie. I just barely enjoyed it. It was very close to me to like collapsing. <clears throat> If it didn't have that third act, which is awesome.
0: Okay. Well, we should probably keep moving a little bit. We're we're talking a lot. So with that over though, what's your next pick?
2: On a completely different <laughs> an entirely different tonal shift and period shift. Little Women was legitimately like a top five film for me this past year and probably one of my favorites from the decade, which feels like not normally my kind of movie, but it's because it's, I mean, it's incredibly written and incredibly directed. You know, it's a story that's been adapted like 800 times and each time it, like, there's some, you know, very famous novel. There are some that, were fairly well-regarded, but nobody quite got it. And in this case, what makes it so different is Greta Gerwig being amazing. And the decision specifically, because, you know, it's about uh, three girls growing up in... uh the 1800s, uh, and it's like the de- her decision was to go back and forth in time, like so it doesn't just start with them as kids and go to them as adults. It's it starts with them near the end of the story and show us how they got there. So that's there's the oh how did this relationship break apart? How did this or that happen? And it adds so much faster pace to it. Interesting. Plus, her, her handling of the die and the, the characters, like, she she fleshes out all three. So it's not like everybody. The focus is always uh, Cersei Ronan's character, Joe. Everyone's always obsessed with her. Everybody loves her. And it's always all about her. This one fleshes out the other two just as much. Florence Pugh as Amy like really stands out, and that's a character who, like, she feels like the stereotypical problem child one or the one who's a little bit jealous and a little bit crazy, yet she becomes lovable, and it shows how their three journeys are very different but also, like, just as valid and interesting. Those are four girls. I was wrong but one of them isn't in it as much. Um, And it's really her direction, which was somehow not nominated for an Oscar, which is a travesty.
0: Greta Gerwig.
2: Um, Yep. Uh, That really drives this in the script as well. That makes it so much better than any of the other adaptations. It's just such a compelling story.
0: Did Greta Gerwig write this as well? Yeah. (laughs) Because she's, I mean, she's on the come up.
2: Yeah, she's like instantly to me after directing two films is like one of my favorite directors (laughs) because I mean, this and Little Women have a lot in common tonally and like how they're told and her balance of it. But this like she kind of takes the next step directing. Because that
0: was my issue. I've not seen Little little, little, little Women. Mom, if you're listening, uh, please, if you see our copy of it, we can't find it. We think it's at the house please let me know must watch but i did see ladybird which was her debut and my whole time thing in libula watching ladybird was this is good but i can't wait to see what she does next because it wasn't perfect direction but I knew that whatever she made next was probably gonna be perfect.
1: Yeah, she was on the she was on the right track.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and really, this is like I I loved Lady Bird more than you did, but this is like her taking the the next step and really just telling this very rich story over a period of time and getting things right that no one has. By changing it, like that's the thing, you're making an adaptation, you're not just doing the thing. And what she gets right is there are changes, like the back and forth in time, and she actually changes some things at the end that everybody is raving about, and it shows that she understands the story and understands how to direct and that you have to change things in an adaptation, and it makes the story super compelling.
0: Sometimes it's better to just get the themes in, of the story and the soul of the story, more than it's just to just copy it directly.
2: Yeah, and you you have, like, such this rich, like, hopeful feeling after it, even though there's ups and downs and there's really sad parts, too, but, like, it, it feels like such a complete, rich story by the end.
0: Zack Snyder, I'm looking at you with Watchmen.
2: <laughs> and it somehow won none of uh, Wait, no, I did win Costume Design. Uh, well, of it course win, it was
0: going to. It's period piece dresses that always wins.
1: Right. Yeah, uh, you're that's right. Like right, basically, oh, period piece win. Like dad, just,
2: for me, this is Florence Pugh's best performance. We were, we've already been raving about her. I I don't think she's been better in anything so far than this.
0: Then you disappeared. Uh, <laughs>
2: Yeah, Cersei yeah. <laughs> so, Ronan's awesome, as always. Uh, she's been nominated for so many Oscars. Darren is better in this than Marriage Story. I mean, everybody's great.
0: Sersha so, Ronan has been nominated for so many Oscars and hasn't won a single one.
2: Yeah, I know. And she's like in her early 20s. She's like our age, and it's like, oh, she's been up for like five Oscars already. That's.
1: But We'll give it to Meryl Streep.
2: <laughs> I know. And again, I feel like she, w- I mean, I feel like uh, Scarlett Johansson should have won. My second would have been her for for this, for Best Actress. And then somehow Greta Gerwig not being up for Best Director is just absurd. Everybody who is complaining about that is rightfully complaining about that because the direction makes this but
0: Todd Phillips, Joker, we live in a society, Alex. Uh,
2: yeah, everybody <laughs> realize we live in a society. But I mean, I can't recommend it enough. Even if this story doesn't seem like your kind of thing, you're still going to like it anyway. It's I mean, just that good.
0: I mean, I'm mean, i shocked you like it that much, to be honest with you. I know what stories you're into. I know that things. Little women's one of them.
2: This isn't a dark 70s film or something. This is uh, mostly feel-good coming-of-age drama about four, four 1800s women.
0: Based off of the first thing his grandmother movie. probably oh, has on her shelf. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs>
1: the fact that Ovidal does like it, it makes me kind of interested to check it out.
2: Like I said, Black yeah, I mean, Box 4.5, like, I, I stand for this movie.
0: But, 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 like I said, we bought it. Don't know where it is. She, my wife bought Little Women. I bought cats. We watched cats. I have no idea where Little Women is.
2: And that just hurts me inside.
1: But like, well, that, cats that's hurt everyone inside
2: is this is like something I would complain about is your grandma's favorite film and normally but in this case I absolutely love it and it was one of the best of the year and decade probably I mean it's just incredible
0: uh, do you have anything more to say watch it <laughs> okay so it's my turn again I'm gonna switch gears again and go to a film that I know none of you have seen it's a, it was an indie film art house <coughs> film that I saw at the Alamo back when theaters were open and the Alamo was the greatest blessing to my life but the greatest person in my bank account and uh, me and my wife went and we saw a little indie film called The Art of Self-Defense it stars Jesse Eisenberg and Alessandro Nivola and it's about Jesse Eisenberg is like this weak wimp guy who gets beat up one day He, he he's mugged on the street and he wants to be tough to, to get back at the people and kind of defend himself so he joins this karate dojo but it turns out that this karate dojo is actually kind of a cult and that's like deals with deals with, deals with, 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 with like toxic masculinity We're not toxic masculinity it is toxic masculinity but it's like this super like cult based around being the most manly man possible and it's a very dark movie but it's absolutely hilarious. It is one of the best black comedies I've ever seen. It's really funny. Jesse Eisenberg, who I don't really like anything that's not The Social Network, is fantastic. He's absolutely amazing in this movie. Alessandro Navola should have at least been nominated for Best Supporting Actor for the, for, for the Oscars. He is so good as, as this sort of mentor, but also villainous figure. He, he, he plays this deadpan comedy style super well. Emojin uh, Poots uh, who's like the one she she's the one woman of of this dojo of manly men. Uh, she's hilarious she, she again it's it's one of those movies where everyone's kind of the straight man and that makes it almost funnier because everyone's playing all this really weird stuff extremely straight. Uh, it's very dark, so we're not into to black, dark comedies. It's not your, your, your thing. But the screenplay is so absolutely amazing. I can't recommend this movie enough. Uh, go please watch it. You two especially. I think both of you would really like it. Sounds interesting enough. I mean, I think I like the blackest... I, I think I like black comedies the most out of all of us. Um,
2: or com- comedies in general, I think. <laughs>
0: Well, specifically black comedy, like satire yeah, and that stuff.
1: Year, that kind of I'm thing. always eyeing for a black comedy. I'm ready to get offended. <laughs> I
0: mean, like, this is... I don't think it's up there with Armando Iannucci's work because Armando Iannucci is a god of, of black comedy. He's so good. But this, this movie is up there. Um It's written by Riley Stearns. Ooh, I think this is one of his only big films. Yeah, this is, the, it is his biggest film. It's, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm very sad that nobody saw it. Because especially with, with toxic masculinity being such a big theme nowadays. Here's a movie that, that it talks about in a very nuanced well done way i
1: don't even think i saw anything for it
0: yeah it didn't mark it
1: oh
2: it's kind of a factor i feel like uh, of it being such a stacked year that so many things got forgotten versus you look at 2020 and literally everything that was even okay was <laughs> like
1: hyped. thank god there's something there
2: <laughs> yeah it was like everything had so much hype behind it versus 2019 and there were a lot more hidden gems.
0: But this movie is why movie theaters are so important, especially ones like the Alamo Drafthouse that specifically want to show indie films and market indie films. Otherwise, I never would have seen this movie. I I love this movie. I never would have saw it if not for the fact that a movie theater ran an ad for it and then showed it the next week.
1: Yeah, I mean, stuff like this would be lost on Netflix or something buried deep where you wouldn't even know it's there.
0: Yeah, Yeah. it'd, it'd be buried under piles of What's those? What's movies like kissing booth, and To all the boys I loved before movies like that? It'd be buried in, in the, the algorithm
2: or whatever other garbage mm-hmm. you're doing.
0: That's all I have to say about that. About that movie, watch it.
1: All right. Well, I'm going to take us into the animation world, and I'm going to talk about How to Train Your Dragon Three: The Hidden World. Um, first off, I love this series of movies. The animation is top notch these movies don't get talked about enough and I think that's mostly because it's DreamWorks they're not really known to be on par too much with Disney or Pixar but these are some of the funniest uh, dramatic animated movies that you'll see this one's a little so basically um, Hiccup helps Toothless get a girlfriend and then they find the hidden world that they're trying to relocate all the dragons to because a new villain is trying to kill them all and this movie is not as good as the first two, in my opinion, but I still think it's the best animated movie of last year that I saw. And I still think it's better than Toy Story 4. That it, got, it got beat out for, for Best Animated Feature in the Oscars, again. Um, but the animation is stellar. I mean, you see a waterfall in this, and you the photorealism is so intense, you're like you wouldn't even know you're looking at an animated movie. The characters are great. The voice acting is top notch. From um, Jay Baruchel as the main character, and you got F. Murray Abraham as the villain, who's a little lackluster. But all these movies have had lackluster villains for the most part.
2: Abraham, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought I thought you don't watch anime movies over though. Well, do all of them have
0: F. Murray Abraham in them? No.
1: I think this is what I think this will be his ex- exception.
0: I also saw this movie in theaters. Um, I was pretty disappointed by it, if I have to be honest, only because you can tell that the budget was slashed heavily from the second one because the action is so much smaller.
1: There's barely any action in this one.
0: They're in the hidden world for like all of what, 10 minutes, maybe? Yeah. The, the climax, there's, like, no dragons in the climax. You can tell it's because of budget. It's solely because that DreamWorks slasher budget because the movies aren't that successful.
1: That's a shame. The first two, I, I believe, like, I give them both, like, 10 out of 10s. This one's probably, like, a 7 out of 10.
0: But it's a deep drop, though. It's
1: yeah, sn- I know. Like I said, I still love it. I still think it was pro- probably one of the best animated movies of last year. I mean toy story 4 was nothing spectacular either
0: i would fight with you in that only because i think missing link is better
1: but i mean see i i can't disagree but i just i have a love for this series i don't know why well you're the reason why
0: why i watch the movies because you kept yeah i know because the ads didn't do for me but you kept you just kept praising them so like fine i'll give it a shot it's like well these are actually really good I mean Your Dragon 2 is amazing. But I will say though, that the epilogue of How Your Dragon The Hidden World is incredible.
1: Hits you right in the feels.
0: It's one of the best written things the animated scene. Like 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 in my opinion, it's better than the Toy Story 3 ending. Yeah. It's incredible.
1: It leaves it very ambiguous.
0: It kind of made me mad only because the rest of the, the movie didn't the live movie. up to that.
1: Yeah. But it's still I mean Really these good. movies do a great job of working with uh, Rod, uh, Roger Deacon for cinematography it just you feel like you're flying while watching these movies hold up Roger Deacon's the cinematographer in these movies he's like a consultant or whatever
0: wow that makes a lot of sense now <laughs> all hail Roger Deacon's the goat who who the, the Academy refused to recognize as the goat for like 30
2: years forever that's ridiculous I mean, how many times he, he
1: should have won, like... I mean, it took him his best effort to finally win one.
2: It
0: took him making the arguably the most beautiful movie ever made, Blade Runner 2049, <laughs> to finally get an Oscar.
1: I mean, he's been nominated, like, for so many times like he's up there with like Meryl Streep for always being nominated
2: yeah and sometimes like uh, Jesse James he just got screwed because of the competition and then other times it was like okay what are they smoking
0: <laughs> but if he if he had a hand well, the-
2: the competition being himself for Jesse James being the part of the problem
0: but if he had a hand in this movie then that makes I mean the visuals of these movies have always been I mean they've, they've been bright colorful they, amazing I mean, effects
1: they're like, even action sequence in these movies don't look like they're for animated movies half the time. They look like they could be real epics.
0: The, the, there's so much love and carry put into them. I'm just mad that it ended the way it did, and it kind of went out with kind of a shrug, more so than a bang. Mm-hmm.
2: Over, though, I think you're up. Well, my third one, I, I wouldn't say... It- was overlooked because certainly the horror community has picked it up. But as far as, you know, how much attention it got from awards, it was, you know, being horror, it was completely ignored and it didn't make a ton of money. Um, But the lighthouse to me is one of the best horrors in a while. I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, Just two dudes going nuts. Such a (laughs) weird movie. What?
0: Such a weird movie. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, really very psychological, uh, surreal to an extent, like, and it feels like it could be supernatural, but you don't really know if any of it's real because they're going completely insane. And, uh... We talked about, you know, we joke all about the Snyder cut, you know, uh, all the weird things and, like, how he's talking about doing Euro widescreen and stuff. This is a film that uses all kinds of crazy techniques, black and white, Euro widescreen, things like that, to perfect effect to just ramp up the tension and the insanity. And uh, it just – it has an incredible way of progressing as it goes. It just gets better and better and more insane. And – I mean, the performances, when you have two actors better be good, and Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. And this is the most Willem Dafoe maybe Willem Dafoe has ever been. And Pattinson goes toe-to-toe with that and is just as good. And it's got so many mythological influences that are interesting. There's a lot of symbolism and about their obsession and just how insane it gets. And really, it's nonstop tension while also having moments of humor just because of how insane it gets. So, and it was really impressive. I wish it had gotten more awards love, particularly Willem Defoe and not getting nominated to me is insane. He was robbed. I mean, he, should have been, he should have been a shoe in to win.
0: He was completely robbed. Having seen that movie... Because you're right, like Willem Defoe kind of has a reputation for just being weird and crazy. This is the most he's ever been with that. And it's awesome. It's so good at like weird every level. And crazy. And, and there's also what I like about it is there's clear motivation behind the visual choices. Yeah. He, he's not just doing black and white because wouldn't that look cool? the black and white amps the tension up so much more.
2: Yeah, it makes the shadows and the darkness really like defined and creepy. Like there's always kind of something looming.
0: And then something a lot of people don't understand about black and white is you have to film for black and white for movies in black and white. Yeah. Like, like the Logan Noir cut or the Max Fury Road uh, silver and chrome cut don't look that good because they weren't shot for black and white. They were shot for color.
2: Yeah, it completely changes how you do shadows and lighting and and things like that because it completely changes how the image looks and you can't just change it afterwards. Like
0: it also changes really enough color choices as well too. Like you 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 you, you have to be very mindful of color choices when you shoot in black and white. Yeah, some
1: people can be wearing weirdly colored clothing just to make it look right.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah the blood in Raging Bull is chocolate syrup. <laughs> Hershey's chocolate <laughs> So like stuff like that And then it looks so defined But I mean and also the, uh, the lighthouse is an example of like Just one of my favorite Trends right now The the revival of horror Specifically like Theme driven horror with like good story And strong themes and symbolism Versus like you know Ooh look this person get tortured Isn't that spooky And ooh, gross jump scare <laughs> right or ooh aren't you scared now i flashed loud music at you and had something pop in isn't that spooky like what's spooky is how intense it gets and how real the themes get and things like that uh us was another example but the lighthouse to me was like the the premier horror of 2019
0: i might have liked us more i know you're harder on my house than i am um are both
2: examples of you know the the current trend
0: oh yeah horror is on a renaissance right now because of people like robert eggers who did lighthouse and also did the witch because of blumhouse um because of the guy who did midsummer is it ari aster i think yeah
2: jordan peele uh you know all those directors
1: yay my least favorite genre I mean, Nothing it, against it, just not my cup of tea.
0: But it was mine, too, until these people started just making these really good movies.
2: Yeah, because I feel like we grew up in, like, you know, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, and especially early 2000s, where the craze saw started. Like, horror was just cheap thrills. Horror was just, this is gross, or this is, you know. Possession, scary, whatever, and now this is kind of getting back to its roots of being like theme-driven. It was
0: substanceless for like a decade. It was just
2: spooky. Okay. I mean, to think about the thing. The thing is gross. The thing is super intense. The theme also has the the theme. The thing also has great themes about like paranoia and stuff like that. And it's getting back to those roots.
1: That's why I loved it so much until uh, chapter two came out. Yeah,
2: <laughs> but right, like it—it it, it has strong themes as well, like it, and horror is kind of getting back to that in a great way.
0: Yeah, horror rebounded because we're back to kind of where we're in the '50s, '60s, '70s, '80s of like auteur horror movies, of yeah. horror movies that are creatively driven by like a single creative mind, not 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 just driven, driven by accountants going. Teenagers think this is cool and teenagers think that's great and they're and they'll see
1: that because it's bloody and make sure you show some boobs.
0: Yeah, of course. But now we're back to horror can be both scary, but also thought provoking. I mean, look at Jordan Peele's stuff. I mean, he he somehow, which I think we'll talk about later, but he weaved political allegory into horror. That's, that's yeah, insane. I mean,
2: Get, Out, Get Out really helped. I mean, it, it's one of those things where it had been building a little bit. And then when Get Out happened, you had this explosion of the, the theme-driven horror.
0: Well, well The Witch... Which is done by the guy who did the lighthouse, Robert Eggers.
2: Yeah, that was before Get Out, I think, right?
0: Yeah, it was. That that's kind of what started the, this whole trend, I think. If you look at like the timeline, right? Well, like witch- that was
2: that was one of the the early ones. I think what I mean by Get Out is that really made it like explode.
0: Well, I, so what I was going to say is is the Witch started this this trend that these could be profitable movies, and then Jordan Peele made Get Out, which freaking. Like I why I, it. I, but yeah, like, like, like you said Alex, it, it exploded it into its own thing and now everyone's trying to do it. I mean look at Blumhouse.
1: It's a
2: money train now. <laughs> yeah, that's like their entire thing, and they're one of the biggest independent well, companies out there.
1: It also helps that doesn't have to you don't have to put a lot of money into
2: a right movie. That al- yeah, that allows the, the entry cost for like smaller companies to make something really good.
0: That's how Blumhouse got big. I mean, they, they, they made Paranormal Activity, which cost nothing to make and made like a hundred some million dollars. Right. Or like The Witch, cost four million, made forty point four million. I mean, that's extremely profitable. I mean, they, 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 they make gangbusters, but they but they made tens of millions of dollars on it. And
1: you got, what,
0: four of those a year? Yeah, you'll you do good. The lighthouse, which had, which cost four million dollars, but only made eighteen million dollars, so it wasn't as
2: profitable. Right, and that's still a really good profit.
0: And it is that it's a great profit because they probably want to double that. So you think that you know, with marketing costs, four million, price probably, probably turned to like eight million. That's still ten million dollars. Is it amazing yeah,
2: no. yeah, Midsummer was the big ba- Midsummer and Us were the ones that made more money. Like, but I mean, again, Lighthouse still made good money, but like, I mean, Us obviously following up on Get Out made a ton. But then Midsummer, I think, made like fifty million on similar budget to the Lighthouse,
1: which was coming off Hereditary,
2: right.
0: M- midsummer kind of got absorbed by the rest of the market, which is a shame. I'm sorry, not midsummer. The Lighthouse got kind of absorbed by the rest of the market, yep. which is a shame because it's kind of the best of all of them.
2: <laughs> so, right? Yeah. To, to me, it's. I mean, not that I don't like Midsummer, but I feel like the hype for Midsummer for me should be going to the Lighthouse. But
0: the Lighthouse is also, I think, the least commercial of all the big horror films. It's the weirdest. It's the strangest.
2: Really? It's really weird. <laughs> if I
0: showed my the- parents a, 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 a trailer for the li- the, li- the, li-
1: the House, they would in no way go see
0: it.
2: I'm there. There's a fart joke before there's a line of dialogue.
1: So. <laughs> well, I was going to say that it seems like the way you guys were talking about it, it seems like it's the most comedic one as well. Oh, absolutely. It's so funny. It's, it's, it's
0: really funny. But like, you're laughing, but you're still really uncomfortable
2: right like for some reason Willem Dafoe limping around with a giant creepy smile carrying an axe is funny and it's also (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) he's limping around chasing uh, Robert Pattinson and it's like I'm laughing but I'm laughing because
1: he's limping around with an axe going here's Willie I told you not to spill your beans
2: like saying sea curses for three straight minutes
0: The whole spill your beans thing still makes me laugh. It does. I mean, the movie's and, great. You
2: know, getting mad because he doesn't like your cooking because you've been together f- for how long and you've lost track of time. I mean, really, I can't believe we haven't brought this up. This is the perfect quarantine movie. It I really mean, is. Like, <laughs> it's about two dudes going nuts because they can't leave. It's
0: it's an amazingly good analogy for where for where we are at.
2: All of a sudden, right you're five minute sea curse because he doesn't like your lobster.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like something I'm going to have to check out.
0: Yeah. I mean, Pattinson oh, kills it. it. Man, isn't it?
1: What? It's
0: it, it, on. It's on it was on Prime for a little bit. It's on Prime.
1: All right. I'll add to the long list of stuff. I still have to watch.
0: <laughs> Anyone who thinks that Pattinson is a bad Batman and can't act has not seen The Lighthouse and needs to watch it
1: immediately. Those are all people who have only seen Twilight. I I haven't even seen Twilight. I was a little skeptical, but I was like, you know what, I've heard good things of other movies he's been in, I'm looking forward to it. And I trust Matt Reeves.
2: Yeah. And in this case, like, really, I mean, the fact that this is one of the best Willem Dafoe performances easily, you could argue it's his best, and you can argue that Robert Pattinson is just as good, and that's insane.
0: It's like Willem Dafoe went into this movie, like he always does, where he goes, yep, I'm going to have to carry this movie by myself, and then, which which I'm sure is what he thought of when he did the, The Florida Project, and then Robert Pattinson came in and was like, nope, you're not getting away with that. But really to me the, the analogy of watching this movie when i think of when i watch this movie is like when you're at like work and your boss is like yelling at a coworker but he, but while they're yelling they they make a really funny joke <laughs> and like you, you want to laugh but you're also like really uncomfortable that's like, like that's
1: i can't laugh in front of my boss
0: that's the experience of watching the lighthouse
2: <laughs> at least to me
1: yeah i would
2: agree
0: and with that, we still have a ton of more movies to talk about, but we've been talking kinda long. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna break this up into two parts. So we're gonna stop talking right now, but, to, but please wait and tune in for part two. We have a ton of good more movies to talk about and some that maybe aren't super good, but there's still a lot more to talk about with 2019 and we haven't even scratched the surface of. So we're gonna do that next time on The Idiot Plot thank you so much for listening Uh, if you haven't subscribed to us on Spotify and the other services that we're on which I can't even think of at the moment because we're on so many but for sure Spotify
1: Anchor we'll have to get another list of stuff together yeah Justin Just a
0: a Tech Guy but please if you like the podcast subscribe to it share it share it listen to it when we're on and we'll be be back with more 2019 movies uh, next time For Justin Nightstone, Alex Overall, I'm David Yanish. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Idea Plot, and we'll see you next time.